0: Welcome to the online service. We are so glad that you are joining us today. My name is Jenny.
1: My name is Nate. I'm actually going to be your service host today online if you guys are watching. But you've got to be watching live at either 9 or 11 on Sunday morning. I'm going to be in the chats, hanging out with you guys, talking with you guys. And after, we actually have a new thing we're doing. We do. We've got some rooms. We've got some rooms. So if you guys are longing for that lobby experience and Kind of wanting to see, so I know it's still like a computer and that kind of stuff, but if you want to see somebody else and talk to somebody else, well, I'll be there. So I'm going to post a link here in the comments for you guys if you'd like to join and hang out with me after service.
0: Yes. Also, you guys, if you are not experiencing a family connection in a group, we really encourage you to do that. You can go onto our website, click on the groups button um, and get plugged into a group. We've got virtual groups. We also have meeting in-person groups. So we highly recommend that.
1: I do recommend groups. I kind yes. of love mine. I love we're still mine meeting too. in person. I love it. <laughs> hey, and if you need prayer at any point during this service, we're going to have a number pop up here on the screen. We've got people literally, if you're watching, watching this live, sitting by their phones, waiting to pray for yes. you. doesn't matter if it's significant, insignificant. Maybe it's about your cat. I don't know why you'd pray for your cat, but if you want to Might. let us know, we would love to pray for them.
0: Yes. Also, uh, we've got some really easy ways that you can give. We've got an online giving, a text to give, and you guys, we are so appreciative of your generosity in this time. Thank you for partnering with us so that we can help more people in our community, um, our church community, yeah. as well as around the world. So thank you so much for your generosity. Also, we've got our congregational meeting that is going to be happening today at 4 p.m. at the 15th Street Campus in our sanctuary. We also have a Zoom option, um, so you can look in your newsletter this week. You can click on the link for your newsletter in the comments uh, and find out the Zoom option, but we would love for you guys to be a part of that as well. Well,
1: as you can tell, we have a lot going on, but I think that's going to do it for announcements. So we're going to move on with the service. We really hope you enjoy your experience today.
2: Let's turn our eyes to the Lord down. In Christ alone, my hope is found. And he is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Plumped through the fiercest drought and storm. What a high to love. Sophie. I You now, Holy Spirit, again, we ask you that you would fill the places where we are, fill our hearts. Now, God, will you lead us in your truth and in your love and in your grace? We want to experience you today, God, in Jesus' name, Amen.
3: hey christ community so glad you are joining us online today Uh, we are continuing our verse-by-verse walk through the book of philippians and we come to a passage that addresses a very important and relevant topic for us today how are we to live in the midst of a society that is becoming increasingly hostile toward christianity i mean it used to be that christian values were generally accepted as the norm It used to be that being a church-going Christian would sort of elevate your respect in in our society. It used to be that a, a Christian perspective would be welcomed into classrooms and institutions and movies, but that's not the case anymore. To acknowledge that you're a Christ follower could get you fired from your job, it could get your business boycotted, you know, it could get you a lower grade in a class or a cold response from a neighbor. I mean, this is our reality. I'm not bashing our society, I'm just pointing out that we live in a society that is becoming less and less welcoming and tolerant of certain Christian values. And the critical question is, how do we respond? How do we respond in a situation like this? I mean, I see a lot of Christians just getting angrier and more defensive and frustrated. I mean, is that how Jesus is calling us to respond? Well, in Philippians 1, Verse 27 to 30, Paul answers this question. The people to whom Paul was writing were living in the city of Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And in Rome, the the predominant view was that Caesar was a God who was worthy of worship. And so to be a part of a group of people who claimed that this guy named Jesus was actually Lord um, was not a popular opinion to hold. And so in this passage, Paul addresses this question. How do you live as a Christ follower in a culture that is hostile toward Christianity. Well, he articulates four specific principles for us to live by. Principle number one, live like you mean it. Live like you mean it. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 1:27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, notice how Paul links the gospel to our behavior, to our living. Unfortunately, many Christians in America have sort of separated those, those things, so the gospel is how you get saved, um, but once you're saved, you then can just kind of live however you want, <clears throat> and, 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 and Paul's like, I don't have any category for that definition of Christianity. To embrace the gospel is to follow Jesus in the way you live, Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are to live with Jesus at the center of every area of our lives. How we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we live out our sexuality. To embrace the gospel means being people of honesty and integrity and faithfulness. People who do what we say we will do rather than cutting corners and shading the truth and doing the minimum required. To live worthy of the gospel means loving people the way Jesus did with compassion and respect and honor. I mean, Jesus even calls us to love our enemies. How are we treating people with whom we disagree? Do our social media posts reflect the heart and the tone of Jesus? You see, when Paul says live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, he is not simply saying believe the right things about Jesus. No, he's saying live like you mean it. Live like Jesus, love like Jesus, treat people like Jesus did, lay down your life like Jesus did. Okay, so why is living like Jesus such a big deal? It's because when we don't do this, we lose any credibility to be able to speak into and influence our culture. If all we're known for is anger, shouting people down on social media, posturing ourselves as the outspoken moral police when we're not even living our own values, we lose any and all ability to influence our culture. And as we watch our societal influence fade, guess what we often look to as our savior? Politics. We place our hope in politics to change culture. Now please hear me, I'm all for voting and engaging in that process and praying for our political leaders, so please, in November, vote, vote, and pray for our leaders, I'm all for that. But the problem is, a lot of Christians are falling into the subtle trap of believing that real change happens by getting certain people elected. That's where they're placing their hope. But that's not our ultimate hope for change. If you're placing your hope in that, you will be disappointed. You may get your person elected or on the Supreme Court, but another election comes around every few years and things can easily shift the other way. Our ultimate hope is Jesus. Look at how Jesus changed the world. Let's follow him, let's live like we really mean it when we say that Jesus is our Lord. Principle number two, stand together. Stand together. Look at what Paul says next in verse 28. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. See, Paul realizes the importance of God's people standing together in the midst of an increasingly hostile environment striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul's point here is that we need each other. We need people around us saying, I got your back, I'm standing with you, I am praying for you. There is such a powerful example of this. In the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament, if you're doing our our church Bible reading plan, you've been reading this passage this last week, this story. But Daniel and his three friends were among those who were taken into captivity by Babylon. So they were in exile in this godless place, a very hostile environment for any follower of God. And so what, what did they do? Well, first thing they did was what we just saw in point one. They resolved to not defile themselves with the king's food. I mean, they were they were living out their faith. It wasn't just something they believed. They were living it out. So at one point, they find themselves in a situation where they're about to be executed along with the, all the wise men in, in Babylon because King Nebuchadnezzar had this traumatic dream and he wanted these people to not only interpret the dream, he wanted them to actually tell it, him what the dream was. And no person could do that. But Daniel knew the giver of dreams. So he asked the king for time to go ask God to show him what the dream was and then what it meant. And then Daniel did something so awesome. We read in Daniel chapter 2, verse 18, that he went to his three friends and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. He is asking them to pray for him. He knows he is not alone. They are standing together in this dire situation, and we need to do the same. We need to stand together as followers of Jesus. We need to encourage and support and pray for each other. Because the, the reality is when we're facing opposition and difficulty, it is so easy for us to turn on each other. I mean, you see the interview, you know, think of World Series game one, you see the interview in the locker room for the winning team and they're all celebrating. and We're such an awesome team and we're so unified and they talk about how awesome their teammates are. Well, what do you hear in the other locker room? Whispers of criticism, about coaching decisions or pitching staff or whatever, right? Opposition creates an environment for division and criticism of each other. I, I talk to a lot of pastors and there is a general sense that the amount of criticism in the church as a whole right now is like nothing we have ever seen. Criticism for not opening soon enough. Criticism for opening too soon. Criticism for not speaking on racial issues. Criticism for speaking on racial issues. Criticism for not being political enough. Criticism for being too political. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid we, we're, we're, we're more and more pointing arrows toward each other in this season. I recently received a four-page handwritten letter from someone in our church criticizing my preaching. Now, I was a bit defensive at first, okay, more than a little bit, but but I I truly, I really appreciated their input. I mean, I wanna grow as a communicator, I do, and and I welcome feedback. Every week that I teach, I have about 10 people giving me feedback on my message before I deliver it. So I value receiving feedback. But what, what really discouraged me about this letter was that it was anonymous. I have no opportunity to sit down with this person and dialogue about their input and their concerns and to share my perspective. I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I have this passionate vision of the church being a place where we are able to talk about these kinds of things over a cup of coffee so that that we can hear each other's perspectives and learn from each other instead of being content just getting our point across so so let me just say if you sent that letter i would love to sit down with you over a cup of coffee and hear your heart and be able to share mine as well just email me let's do it okay let's do it the church can be such a powerful example of modeling what peacemaking looks like i mean how can we help bring peace to our conflicted society when we can't even have face-to-face conversations with each other It is so important that we stand together, especially in this season. Someone recently told me about a YouTube video they had seen where these two zebras were fighting each other. And they were so focused on fighting each other that they didn't see the lion creeping up on them until it was too late. I mean, we can get so focused on criticizing each other and pointing out what's wrong and what we disagree with each other about that we lose sight of who our ultimate enemy is. Satan, who loves to divide God's people so that we're no longer standing as one because he knows that hinders the advancement of God's kingdom. See, unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean unanimity, that we all agree on every fine theological point. Paul urges us here in verse 27 to be striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Unity is an unyielding commitment to the gospel of Jesus and to each other, a willingness to stand together. Principle number three, don't freak out. Don't freak out. I may be wrong, but I don't remember a time in my 30 years of ministry here where there has been more hand-wringing and worrying among Christians about the future. It seems like every day I'm getting sent from people of another video that's talking about Bill Gates or this conspiracy or how our nation's fallen apart. And while the content of each video is different, I feel like they all have a common theme fear. Fear. There is an underlying fear right now in the body of Christ. Fear for our nation, fear for the election, fear of some vaccine conspiracy, fear of economic collapse, fear of governmental control, fear of the end times. And this fear is having a huge effect and impact, not only in terms of our own anxiety and stress. I mean, you know what else fear leads to? Anger, hatred, Fear is at the root of almost all the polarization and tension in our nation right now. And it saddens me to say that Christians represent a significant portion of people who are living in fear. We have lost sight of God's repeated message to his people over the centuries and in various hostile environments. Do not fear, do not be afraid. Look at what Paul says next in verse 28 without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Paul is saying, don't freak out. Yes, you're living in an environment that is increasingly hostile to followers of God, but don't be frightened. God's got this. He is still in charge. He is still with you. He is still at work. His gospel is advancing. Trust him. I mean, in the story of Daniel's friends, at one point, they refused to bow down before an image of King Nebuchadnezzar and they're sentenced to death to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Do they freak out? No. I mean, check out what they say to the king as the fire is blazing just a few feet away. Daniel 3, verses 16 to 18. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They are not living in fear. There is this calmness. There is this deep confidence in God and his purposes. And they're not disrespectful in what they say to the king. They call him your majesty. They're not disrespectful. But there's a calmness. There's a calmness and confidence in God. These guys are like, God will deliver us. And even if he does not we're still gonna trust him. Either way, either way they're good because they're trusting in a God who is good. They know their lives are in his hands, no matter what happens. And what's so fascinating in this story is that their calmness in the face of the king infuriates him. He orders his subjects to to increase the fire seven times, make it seven times hotter, he is so mad. You know, it makes me think of, of Paul's words right here in verse 28, look again. He says, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. Our calmness, our lack of fear in the midst of adversity is a signpost of God's salvation. People around us may get madder or their hearts may soften but either way, in our calmness, we are pointing to God. Which means that when we live in this state of freaking out, We are not reflecting God's salvation. We are not pointing people to God. Friends, we can trust God in our circumstances just as Daniel's friends trusted God in theirs. And as we do, it will be a display of the reality of the gospel. Principle number four, suffer gratefully. We probably wish I would have ended the message with the last point, but Paul doesn't. Look at what Paul says next in verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to suffer for him, that's what Paul says. Now you know what the root of this word translated granted is? Grace. Grace. This word means to show someone grace, to give them a gift. Paul is saying that suffering for Jesus is a precious gift. This is such a radical concept, especially in American Christianity, where we can so easily fall into the trap of thinking that Christianity is a way to get God to bless us with comfort and success and health and convenience. We, we follow Jesus so that he will make our lives easier. And then the moment we hit any difficulty, we're, we're like, what, what's going on? You know, We complain, we freak out, we abandon our faith. But Jesus never promised us a life without suffering. In fact, he promised the opposite over and over again. He said, if you follow me, if you love me and live like I do, you will suffer. He doesn't say if you're a jerk for me you'll suffer. You know that that's not the same suffering. He's talking about if you live like Christ lives, if you treat people the way Christ does and you su- you're going to suffer for that. You'll be persecuted, maligned and rejected. Jesus says that and that suffering is a gift. It's a gift. Paul says later in Philippians 3 I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Oh, that sounds good. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What? I mean, Paul realizes that there is something about suffering for Jesus that increases our intimacy with Jesus. Because Jesus suffered for us. You know, I think of, of our Christian friends in Syria who suffer more than we could ever imagine, but their faith is so rich and so deep and so real. I mean, if our primary goal is for ourselves and our kids to avoid suffering for Jesus, we may, miss, we may be missing an opportunity for Jesus to do a unique and deep work in us and in, in our children. I don't know about you, but I long for the faith of Daniel and his friends who in the midst of incredible opposition chose to live their faith. They chose to stand together. They chose to stay calm and confident in God, even as their hair was being singed by a fiery furnace, considering it a privilege to suffer for their God. What an amazing opportunity we have as Christ followers in these difficult days. The question is, how are you and I gonna choose to live our lives? Are we gonna compromise, criticize, freak out, avoid suffering at all costs? Or are we gonna live like we mean it and stand together, stay calm and confident and suffer gratefully for our Savior who gave his life for us. Let's pray. So as we quiet our hearts and welcome the presence of the Spirit here, as we quiet our hearts, let's just let the Spirit speak to us specifically in these four areas. So let me just kind of walk us through just a moment of quiet before the Lord for each one of these. So, so just quiet your heart with me. Let's, let's start with the first one. So Holy Spirit, you can just pray this quietly in your own heart. Holy Spirit, where in my life are you urging me to live worthy of the Gospel? And as he brings any area to mind, just confess that to him, ask for his help. In your actions, your words, your love, the way you treat them, whatever it is, ask for his help. God, help us live our lives worthy of you, worthy of the gospel. Second area here, Holy Spirit, how can I better stand together with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Lord, would you forgive us for just all of our tendencies, including me, just to criticize, to point out fault, rather than to support and come alongside and encourage and pray for each other. Holy Spirit, would you fill us all with a quiet confidence in who you are? Remove our fear. Help us walk in greater faith and calmness even in the face of hatred and opposition. And Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, we ask that if we indeed suffer, have to suffer for you, would you give us the grace to suffer well? And to experience this intimacy with you as we share in the fellowship of your sufferings. So God, we just acknowledge these are difficult days. And it it matters how we're responding. And I just wanna, wanna pray, Lord, your word would continue to speak to us and challenge us in terms of how to respond so that we would honor you and we would influence our culture the way you did, Jesus. And that your kingdom would advance. Your kingdom of love and life would advance. So we pray for this, God. Do this in and through us, we ask. In Jesus' name. So now, Lord, set us free as we worship you. We love you, God.
2: grace when the heart is under fire I know the way when the walls are closing in and Should I look at the space between where I used to be in this reckoning I know I'll never be alone There was another Across the beast the bird Between wasting I can feel the ground Stay beneath us As the prison walls Caving Nothing stands between us Nothing stands Between us See, is I can see the light in the darkness as the darkness to you. I can hear the roar in the heavens as the space between we're sitting. I can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison walls give it. Nothing sits between us, nothing sits between us. Can see. 'Cause I can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to it. I can hear the roar of the heavens as the space between wasted. I can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison walls cave in. Nothing stands between us. Nothing stands
1: between us. well hey we want to thank you guys for joining us today and even though the experience of this service is coming to a close the beauty is is that our invitation to continue worshiping isn't done yet Uh, Again, in a a few minutes here, we're going to have this slide that pops up that's going to inform you and give you some direction if you want to continue to worship through giving and prayer. Um, And we highly encourage you guys to do that.
0: Yes. Also, don't forget, we've got our Facebook rooms that are going to be opening up right as the service ends. Uh, Nate is going to be there hosting those. Um, So if you're watching on Facebook or if you're watching on YouTube and you want to hop over to Facebook, you can join one of those rooms.
1: Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Well, hey, why don't we close with a prayer for you guys? Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be together to hear your word preached and to just be reminded that, God, you are with us. That no matter what it is that we're walking through in this life, whether it is good or bad, you are right there. As we go about our days and our weeks, would we just be reminded of that truth, that we're not alone, that you are right there with us in the fire. pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.